just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. It is Monday. We're starting out a new week, kind of. This is still a day off for most folks, or a lot of folks anyway, because it's President's Day. So the week really doesn't kick in until Tuesday. Now, I know a lot of people do work on President's Day, but nothing really happens with our government in Washington, D.C. They take every fucking free day they can get. So if there are things that are going to come to pass, it probably won't happen till Tuesday. But we'll see what happens. I'm a little depressed right now, to be perfectly honest with you. We've got a snowstorm coming. And I know this is Minnesota. February and March are some of the heaviest snowfalls you find in this part of the country. It gets a little warmer. The snow doesn't stick around quite as long. But the kind of snowstorm that's coming always concerns me. It's apparently going to be spread between Tuesday and Thursday, and we're going to get anywhere from 6 to 12 inches. Now, none of that is going to devastate this part of the country because we're well prepared with salt and sand and plows. It's not the aftermath of the storm that upsets me. It's the time when the storm is going on, because if you're in uh, this part of the country and it's snowing and visibility is limited, the streets aren't quite as plowed as they should be, it really makes things difficult getting around. Now, I don't drive as much as I used to, but that doesn't mean I'm not concerned. I mean, I've got both my sons, uh, my daughter-in-law, my grandkids, my wife, they're all having to drive in this stuff, and that worries me. I think it worries me more than most people because I spent all those years as a traffic reporter. And when I was doing the traffic reports, I would watch something like 500 cameras all over the freeway system. And I would do my reports based on what I saw. Well, if you drive on your own strip every day, you might come across a car crash now and then, maybe a car fire, maybe a rollover. But you would probably think that those are rare occasions. But I tell you what, if you spend 27 years looking at 500 cameras and you see what happens every day, you know none of those things are a rarity. They happen all the time. They happen almost daily. It just doesn't seem to happen on your stretch every day. I've also seen situations where people who are driving perfectly fine still get in crashes. And that's because you've got other fucking knuckleheads that don't drive fine and end up hitting somebody who's doing everything they're supposed to be doing. So it's kind of an unfair situation. To me, it's kind of a scary situation. I mean, I'm not scared when I'm driving in because I know what I'm dealing with. I am worried when my friends and family are out in it, though, because I know what the possibilities are and... uh, it makes me nervous. That's why whenever I talk to somebody and it's snowing, and I say snowing to a large amount, I always tell them, you know, if you don't have to go out, don't go out. It's not worth it. I mean, even if you go out and just get stuck, that that is enough of a pain. Uh, the only redeeming thing I can tell you, based on my experience being a traffic reporter, if they actually get 12 inches of snow... With that much snow, you get tons and tons of accidents, and that's not a good thing. The good part of it is is that traffic is moving very slowly. So you get all these crashes, but they're mostly fender benders, and people don't get injured because everybody's driving so slowly. That's the one upside to a heavy snow. Nonetheless, I'm sitting here on a Monday knowing that later tonight, Tomorrow, the next day, and the next day, it's going to be snowing pretty consistently. And when it's all said and done, we could have 12 inches. 
Now, that's not something I've never seen before. It's not something I'm going to go, oh, my God, I've never seen that. I've seen it a lot over my lifetime, and so is everybody that lives in Minnesota. But it is such a fucking pain in the ass. And the biggest concern, the biggest thing that makes me the maddest is I'm sitting here in Minnesota with 12 inches of snow coming, and I have a place in Savannah, Georgia. Why the fuck am I not down there? Well, we've got responsibilities here, and i got my grandkids here. Had a fun day yesterday. We went over to uh, my my son's place, and my granddaughter was there, of course. And uh, my son had found a, uh, a school desk. And so we picked up the school desk and dropped it off. We had lunch together. Then we went out to a park and uh, just had a great day. Now she's coming over today with my son. And we're going to do some swimming. First time I've been in a pool for a long time. Now, I should be out there exercising in the pool all day, every day. And it's just across the parking lot. It's indoor. It's heated. No reason not to go. But I rarely go. I always make plans to go, but I never actually follow through with it. So we're going to go over there today. Let my granddaughter swim around a little bit, get a little crazy, because she can be a little firecracker. She's a very, the thing about it is, this kid is like two and a half years old, and I told you in the last podcast, she is such a smart ass. She's very sarcastic, and she's very much a smart ass at, at just short of three years old. And other people get upset about that. Well, she's, she's got kind of a sharp tongue, and all I can think is, that's my girl. <laughs> everybody in my family is sarcastic. Everybody's getting everybody's shit. Nobody takes offense. They just come up with another zinger to return the favor. And she's every bit part of my family because <laughs> she's fucking hilarious. I can't help but laugh whenever I hear her take somebody to task. She said something yesterday that struck me kind of strange for a, a, a under three-year-old kid, my youngest son was talking to her, and she loves my youngest son. That's her uncle. They're buddies. And he, he said something to her, and she wasn't really seeing it or didn't understand it or didn't wasn't on board with it. And she looked at him and said, okay, Jose. And the first thing I thought was, that's, that's not right. You're supposed to be no way, Jose. But then I thought, how does a two-year-old come up with that shit? Where does that come from? Anyway, I talk too much about my grandkids. I know that. But as we know, this is my fucking show, and I'll do whatever I want. Anyhow, let's get down to business. I do have an email. This one comes from V. She's written a number of times. always like her uh, emails. Very intelligent woman. And this is what she wrote. She says, hi, Mike. I'm so glad your podcast yesterday focused on the revelations of the corruption of Fox News and their horrible host. I hope every single person with a platform keeps talking about it over and over again. I truly believe Fox is the one that poisoned the minds of people. I know that there's more factors that contributed, but Fox is in people's family rooms day in and day out and at nighttime, poisoning and radicalizing people. Their lies, their hate, propaganda, and sensationalism has caused all this division in this country. They could have shut Trump's lies down from the start, but liked it, showed, and it showed in their host text to each other that it was about money and ratings. That snowflake Tucker Carlson especially crying about losing money and him being in Chrissy Teigen's famous quote, where she said, pussy-ass bitch. Now, I don't think she was mentioning Tucker Carlson there. I think she was talking about Donald Trump. Now, let's be honest. The term pussy-ass bitch could apply to Tucker Carlson, too. There's no question about it. But I think she was talking about Trump. Anyhow, she goes on. So fearful of Trump destroying them all, 
funny Tucker, Tucker didn't care when he himself would dox people, when he knew they were going to reveal something about him. He went after so many people and caused them to be threatened and harassed by his stupid supporters. Tucker portrays himself as this manly man, but now we know he's a scared little bitch, and that's true. I'm sorry for using this language. <laughs> v, what, who are you talking to? You're, you're sorry for the language? You know what this show's about, and you know I swear my share, and I'm not going to look down my nose at anybody that swears. I feel like you're on my team when you say motherfucker or something like that. She goes on to say, but I'm truly disgusted by Fox and how it's messed with people's brains. My husband has a good friend uh, that he's known for over 30 years. This guy has always been a Republican, but never talked much about politics and always been respectful of our political leanings. But the past six years, and especially lately, the first thing that comes out of his mouth, have you seen what the stupid Democrats have done now? Knowing my husband is a liberal, he will make it a point to say something negative about the Democrats repeating the exact points that Fox News is feeding him. Even regarding the China balloon situation, he railed against the Democrats. I mean, if you're a true patriot, wouldn't you back up your country and leaders against China? It makes me sick how people like him, who's a good, hardworking person, now blames everything that's going wrong in his life in this country on Democrats and refuses to listen to a different point of view. Again, I thank you for using your platform to expose Fox News, the Murdochs, um, and the hosts for being liars and propagandists. Just keep talking, Mike. Thank you. V. Now, V, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more on virtually everything you said here. I think Fox News shares a lot of the blame for the problems we have in this country, and I've talked about it before. You know, a lot of people want to think Democrats and Republicans are the reason we are so divided in this country. And I've said all along, it's really more the media. Because you've got people that watch their favorite news sources, and I use that term loosely. And each source has different stories. Or they don't cover certain stories. Or they don't give all the facts. Now, I'll be honest the left-leaning media is guilty of this too. <clears throat> what they do is not as damaging as what the Fox News has done, but it is certainly a disservice. And I know this because I get a lot of people coming to me on my TikToks and on this podcast fearful of some story they heard. And even the left-leaning news sources don't give you the whole story. They only give you enough to react to be afraid or be mad or something like that because they know they're just, you know, poking the bear here and causing you to keep watching. Once you know the whole story, you have a better feel for what's actually happening and what will ultimately happen. And that's what we try to do here with the Rational Boomer. But the left-leaning uh, media doesn't do that. And the right-leaning me right media... I mean, they'll just flat out lie to you. And we know this now because of these text messages uh, that have been released. And I'll be honest with you, the, the Fox News is trying to do whatever they can to slither out of this lawsuit with Dominion, $1.6 billion. But they aren't doing very well. We not only know for a fact that they lied, we now know for a fact that they knew they lied and they chose money over the truth. That is the essence of what will cost them this lawsuit. And they'll get hit with a fine of $1.6 billion. Now, I know Fox News is, has a lot of money. They may be able to pay that. Uh, but they're taking a hit on their credibility, too. Even Trump folks who hear these stories, assuming they hear bits and pieces of it, have to ask the same question. Well, you told us this. And now behind the scenes, you're saying it didn't happen. What do you really mean? And just by virtue of them behind the scenes saying Donald Trump is wrong, the election wasn't rigged, by them saying that is going to get them canceled by the Trumplefucks and the MAGA people. That's the ironic thing. 
Republicans are so upset about cancel culture. But by doing what they're doing and being exposed for the things they've done, they're going to get canceled by their own people, and it's going to cost them a lot of money, more than $1.6 billion. That's going to be the first hit, but then things are going to be starting to diminish for Fox News. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if at some point in the near future we don't see some, well, if it was the radio business, if it was the radio business, I would say this, you know, you go through those times when you change format, and it's a fucking mess every time they do that. I've been through that a couple of times. And here's how you know when you're going to lose your job in radio. And those of you that ever worked in radio will relate to this. I worked at a station here in town. My wife was pregnant, didn't have a lot of money. I was a production director for this oldie station in town. One day I come in, and there's these two guys I've never seen before. They've got the expensive suits on with no coat on, but they've got suspenders. The suspenders are the tip-off because nobody in this town wears suspenders that I know of. But these guys come in from someplace else. And then we see a conference room with the door closed. And every so often we see a woman or even a guy coming out of that room crying. Right at that point, you know everybody's getting fired. And by the time I got in there, I knew what was going on. I go, okay, just just spew it. Let's get this fucker done. And I had to walk out. And, you know, of course, they changed to some other format. <laughs> Ironically, in about six months, they changed back to the format they had originally because they fucked up and they made the wrong choice. And what, what I'm saying is, I wouldn't be surprised if we see something like that with Fox. Fox has made a lot of money. And if their their profits drop off the table, more than likely they're going to react emotionally and probably make the worst choice they possibly could make. But the thing about it is, is if they're being exposed, have no credibility with their own people, the $1.6 billion is just the frosting on the cake. They are going to lose viewers by the millions they're going to lose sponsors in terms of dollars by the millions. This is really going to weaken Fox News. And it's ironic that, that the reason they're in this situation is because they chose to do what would make them money as opposed to telling them the truth. They would have been better off telling the truth, taking a little hit, and then building back up. But now... It's going to come in all one felled swoop, and it's going to be fucked up. <clears throat> and I'm going to sit here giggling my ass off because they fucking deserve it. Now, there's a Supreme Court case that's coming up this week. I think it starts Tuesday. And the Supreme Court will hear arguments in a case with major implications for their operation of the Internet. As we know it now, it's likely to change a lot of things. And I think immediately people think, well, that's bad. Well, it's not necessarily bad. It depends on how you look at it. And I think there'll be people that disagree with me on this. And maybe I'm not looking at it deep enough. In the case, Gonzalez versus Google starts February 21st. The court will be asked to pass judgment on Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act for the first time. Now, since they brought this act into existence in 1996, Section 230 has been interpreted by courts to shield online platforms from liability for almost any offense committed by users. This protection for user behavior enabled the growth of the current online ecosystem of search engines, social media sites, blog, message boards, user-generated encyclopedias, um, shopping sites. And so it is variously been dubbed by the Internet as Internet's Magna Carta, its First Amendment, and the 26 words that created the Internet. Yeah, there's a lot of pomp and circumstance um, 
around this. And we heard it talked about when Donald Trump was in office. And uh, oddly enough, Trump and the Republicans were for tearing this down too because they wanted the Democrats for all the lies they were telling on the Internet, which they really weren't. But that's how stupid they are. If they would have gotten rid of Section 230, it would have probably affected Republicans more than it ever affected Democrats because, well, Republicans, we know, one of their strategies is to flat-out fucking lie. Now, Section 230 has also produced some negative effects. Online platforms have been used for harassment, death threats, defamation, discrimination, revenge porn, fraudulent product sales, the illegal purchase of weapons and drugs resulting in death and other illicit behavior. Now, in most cases, platforms have been absolved of any responsibility thanks to Section 230's protections. Gonzalez versus Google brings the negative effects that come in with Section 230 uh, before the court for the first time. So what happened is in 2015, Islamic State-linked militants murdered 23-year-old American student Nohemi Gonzalez amid a terrorist attack in Paris that left 129 people dead. Gonzalez's family sued Google for aiding and abetting terrorism under the Anti-Terrorism Act. The family has claimed that YouTube's uh, um, input into this thing had some bearing, something to do with their algorithm and uh, how it affected search engines. What it did is it promoted videos posted by Islamic State that recruited followers and encouraged violence at issues in the case as to whether or not these algorithms are themselves covered by Section 230's liability protection. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit ruled in 2021 that Google's YouTube recommendation algorithm is protected by Section 230 but the decision featured notable dissenting opinions. So basically what they're saying is that Google and Facebook and TikTok and all these things, anybody, any third party can go out there and put anything on it. And if it creates some problem, a death, a violence, whatever it causes, the platform, TikTok, Facebook, Google, whatever it is, cannot be prosecuted. Now, yeah, you wonder why these platforms like the idea of putting this kind of, of content on their platforms, these violent or harassing or bullying or all those sorts of things. Why, why do they want it on there? Why don't they just naturally take it off, be good guardians of their platform and try to keep it as clean and safe as they possibly can. Why don't they do that on their own? Because, you know, frankly, they could. Well, the reason is, is because that turmoil and bullshit that's on their platforms creates money for them. We know how people in this world love scandals, love violence, love crazy fucking videos. I mean, I remember a video around the early portions of the Internet. And I was able to pull it up on YouTube or whatever it was. I mean, Maybe even YouTube wasn't around then. But it was a video called Faces of Death. And it was basically a montage of different scenes where people were actually killed in some of the most brutal ways. Now, I was a young man at the time, and I was curious. And I watched it, and I go, holy fuck. Now, what would cause a platform to put this on their platform? And again, it's to create interest, to hype. You know, it's like a tabloid mentality. <laughs> you know, you used to pick up those rag magazines like Inquirer, The Globe, and all that sort of stuff. Bat, for, bat face boy marries a normal woman and has Satan as a child. You know, that kind of shit. Well, it's the same thing for the Internet. People like to see this crazy shit. But I never understood how it was that these platforms are not responsible. Let's take another normal scenario. Say you own a store 
Okay, just a typical retail store. Doing your job, doing the best you can. And it's snowing out, like this snowstorm coming. And some little kids walk in. They got snow all over their boots. The snow falls off and creates a puddle in the middle of this store. So next, an elderly woman comes walking in. She slips in the water, falls on her back, hits her head, and is seriously injured. Who's getting sued there? Well, of course, the store's getting sued. It's on their property, and at the same time, they should have cleaned up the water. So they were negligent, and they're going to get sued. Whether you think that's right or not, it doesn't matter. That's just the way it goes. But the same types of things are happening on the Internet. Nobody gets blamed for it. Well, it's just the way it goes. And as much as this 230, Section 230 is kind of a hot button, and there are some negative reasons for doing it, and there are some positive reasons for doing it, the way I look at it, maybe I'm looking at it too simply, the Internet was used to meddle in our elections in 2016 and 2020. And I'm willing to say that in 2016 it had a significant effect. With some of the things that happened in 2016, you got to wonder, did Donald Trump win fairly? Now, I know the Republicans are always saying, well, you complained about 2016, that's why we're complaining about 2020. Well, I would complain about 2022, but the Democrats won. Fact is, in 2016, we might have complained, but we followed the law, accepted it, and we moved on. Hillary Clinton did concede, by the way, but even at this point, Donald Trump has yet to concede, and there's some local politicians that think they can create some press by not conceding, and that doesn't mean anything. That has no bearing on who's seated in the, uh, in the office. So anyway, in my mind, if we can stop um, foreign countries meddling in our politics, if we can stop um, racist, misogynistic, anti-Semites from posting inflammatory things and creating violence in this country, if we can stop the cyberbullying and avoid thousands of kids committing suicide because of how they were treated online, if we can stop all those things by getting rid of Section 230, I'm willing to do that, even if it does have a negative effect on the Internet. I mean, we'll figure it out once it's taken out and, and it will readjust. But the thing about it is some of the crimes that are going on, attempted coups, terroristic action, the unnecessary deaths of young people, if we don't do something to fix those problems, well, then who the fuck are we? We should be fixing these problems. You see, up to this point, the Internet... As far as posting things, we've been kind of on the honor system. But unfortunately, we have a lot of fucks in this country that aren't honorable. I remember working at radio stations, and they'd have this, they didn't want to put in a vending machine. And uh, they put in a box with candy and potato chips and a little box where you'd put the money in and you were on the honor system. So you'd take a candy bar and you'd put the money in the box. Well, inevitably, especially when you're dealing with radio people who have no scruples and very little money, they'll go, you know, I'm going to grab this Butterfinger and I'll just bring the money tomorrow. And, of course, they don't. So all the candy and all the... Uh, all the potato chips will be gone from this box and they'll open the box to collect their money and there's like two bucks. Hardly anybody paid just because it was there. And I'm not saying the people who did this were shameful criminal people, but it was radio, so they probably were. But the point is, at that point, they said, all right, fuck it, we're not leaving a box here with a bunch of candy. If you're not paying for it, we're just taking it away which would adversely affect those people that were being honest and actually paying. Now they couldn't buy the candy. But what else are you going to do? 
there's got to be some reaction to whatever cause there is. And what's going on on the Internet now is pretty horrible, pretty horrible. So something has to be done. I don't know if there's some compromise here, but I don't see why these companies that are making billions of dollars and causing some bad in this country and bad in this world, why they shouldn't be responsible. If they are responsible, then they would be better at policing what's going on. You know, it's ironic that we can have these crazy, horrible videos on. But I can do a TikTok talking about Donald Trump and some Trumplefuck is offended, allegedly, complains to TikTok and they immediately take down the video. So apparently it's not that difficult to take down videos if you want to. But as I said, they don't want to because it makes them money. I don't really like the idea of taking freedoms away, but this isn't our government. This is private companies, and people are misusing these private companies to the detriment of this country and the people of this country. So something has to be done. Taking away Section 230, I don't know if that's the answer, but something better be done, and something better be done fucking now, because I'm tired about hearing kids that are being bullied online and then committing suicide. I'm tired of hearing terrorists do whatever the fuck they want on Facebook and help to set up an insurrection, a coup on this country. It's fucking ridiculous. There's got to be some middle ground here. And the people, the platforms, and, and Google, and whoever else, they need to have some responsibility here. I mean, honestly, I, I remember talking about, you know, when I was a young man, I kept telling my dad, we need a pool, we need a pool. And he'd always tell me, you can't have a pool. What if somebody fell in and drowned? Then we get sued, then we're broke. I said, well, put up a fence. He goes, he doesn't matter. If you've got a pool and a fence, somebody climbs over the fence and then drowns in the pool, same thing. It seems everywhere else, the people that are in a position to be accountable are accountable. Why is it there's only two groups of people that aren't accountable for their business? There's the internet, social media, the platforms, and people who make guns. No rules for them at all. And guess what? Both of those groups are making fucking tons of money. Maybe it's time that we do make some rules where they are accountable and they don't get to do anything they want just so they can make a billion dollars. They've got to be accountable and hopefully they'll do a better job, both the gun industry and, and the internet folks. I know I'm going to get heat about this. Oh, if you take away Section 230, it's going to make the internet worthless. Well, I doubt that. There's too much money being on, made on the internet, and they'll figure a way to deal with that situation. <laughs> Call me sentimental. I just don't want to see young kids committing suicide because somebody's cyberbullying them. I don't want to see our elections compromised by foreign countries, and I don't want terrorists planning fucking coups. It's as simple as that. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. You know, since the special grand jury from Fulton County, Georgia, released portions of its report, there's been a lot of buzz going on. As I've said, the first part was the introduction, didn't really tell us much. The conclusion basically told us there were some laws broken and some shit's going to go down. It's the middle part where the special grand jury, the majority of the special grand jury, felt as though that some of the witnesses that testified weren't exactly telling the truth. In technical terms, committing fucking perjury, which is against the law and you will go to jail for. Now, since that came out, Lindsey Graham's been getting a lot of heat. Lindsey Graham, as we know, had to testify, but he fought like hell not to testify. He didn't want to testify. 
But we understand that he may have talked to Brad Raffensperger, the Secretary of State of uh, Georgia, two times, one more time than Donald Trump did. And so he fought like hell not to testify, but in the end he was forced to because Republicans, all they are concerned about are delaying things and maybe trying to run out the clock. Well, it didn't work for Lindsey Graham. He didn't run out the clock and he had to testify. And as I said yesterday, I don't know how he didn't lie. Now, he wants us to believe that uh, I was just doing some fact-checking and figuring out how they're doing things. Well, we know that's bullshit. We know that Lindsey Graham is best buddies with Donald Trump. Donald Trump was calling Brad Raffensperger, trying to get him to flip the election. And we know that Donald Trump called Lindsey Graham and says, you need to call him. And he was trying to do the same thing. Regardless of what he said he was doing, that would be the only reason he would call the Secretary of State from Georgia, because he is a senator from South Carolina. What possible interest could he have in a state that he doesn't represent? So anyway, he had a couple of options in my mind, and we talked about this yesterday. He could either lie and take a risk of being charged with perjury, or he could tell the truth and be charged with attempting to overturn the 2020 election in Georgia. Yeah, he didn't have many options. So the average guy in this situation will go where he still has a chance and maybe commit a little perjury and try to walk around it a little bit so it isn't quite that bad. And hoping against hope, I'm a U.S. senator. I'm not going to get charged with perjury. But then this comes out and says that some of these people, at least one and maybe more, have lied. Now, I think it's pretty safe to say that Rudy Giuliani, Michael Flynn, Sidney Powell, I'm guessing they fucking lied. And I'm guessing it wasn't too hard to prove that. But Lindsey Graham would be a different story. He's a sitting U.S. senator. He's got a fair amount of power and a lot of tenure in the U.S. Senate. If something like that were to happen to him, oh, that would be a fucking problem. Not for us. We'd love it. But for Lindsey Graham, the Republicans, and the U.S. Senate. So on Sunday, Lindsey Graham addressed whether he regrets his testimony to Georgia's special grand jury investigating former Donald Trump's attempt to overturn the 2020 election. He was interviewed in the hallways prior to this on Friday or Saturday, and he says, oh, no, I'm not worried. I'm not worried. I'm confident in my testimony as he was running away, which is really out of character for him. But now he's showing up on the shows. He showed up on a show yesterday. It was during an interview on ABC. Host Martha Raddatz noted that portions of the grand jury report released last week indicated jurors believe some witnesses committed perjury. So she was questioning Lindsey Graham. Now you're probably wondering, why is Lindsey Graham going on these programs if maybe he committed perjury? Well, he's trying to spin it. He's trying to take away some of the impact when it does come out, assuming he's one of these people that committed perjury. So this Martha Raddatz asked Lindsey Graham, do you accept the grand jury conclusion and do you have any regrets about calling the Secretary of State and any concerns about perjury? Graham said, no concerns about my testimony. The grand jury analysts that there was no widespread fraud in Georgia. I agree with that. I think the voting by mail had problems. No, it didn't. There were no problems. But I find no evidence of widespread fraud. It's funny, shortly after the election, he wasn't talking like that. It was almost a foregone conclusion that there was fraud and he was all behind it as long as his buddy Donald Trump was trying to spew that shit. He goes on to say, and I had to decide as a senator whether or not to validate the Georgia election. I thought it made sense to call up the Georgia Secretary of State, and I did. I asked hard questions, but at the end of the day, I voted to certify the election results in Georgia for the 2020 election. 
In recent weeks, Graham has been praising tens of thousands of uh, raising tens of thousands of dollars for a legal expense fund that's been in part bankrolled by other Republican members of the U.S. Senate. See, this is the crazy thing. These guys get into trouble and it's just a money-making opportunity for them. You know all those things you see on uh, uh, on TikTok? Some guy or some woman comes out, I got the easiest side hustle you could ever ask for. Well, these politicians, including Donald Trump, seem to have it. Every time they have a hint of problems, the emails go out saying, I need money for my defense fund from a bunch of people that are supposed to be millionaires and billionaires. And for whatever reason, some stupid people still send them money. Now, I will say this about, about uh, Lindsey Graham testifying in front of the Fulton County, Georgia, special grand jury. Lindsey Graham's not a stupid man. He is a consummate politician, and he knows how to say things to not quite implicate himself. Had that been Donald Trump, oh, he'd be fucking done by now. It's conceivable that uh, Lindsey Graham may have been able to weasel his way out of this, but I still find that hard to believe. The idea that he was calling Brad Raffensperger, the state that was in question, the same folks that Donald Trump was trying to coerce, and Lindsey Graham being Donald Trump's buddy makes a call, I really don't think it was research. Now, he might say that, and he would get away with it, too, by just saying that, unless, of course, there's other witnesses or other evidence that corroborate the fact that he was trying to overturn the election. And I'm thinking there must be. Fonnie Willis interviewed 75 people in this case and has gathered quite a lot of evidence. The question isn't to ask Lindsey Graham because they need the answer from him. They probably have all they need. They want to first see if he can corroborate it so that it can be a slam dunk. But if he doesn't corroborate it, it's conceivable that they could have some evidence that show he's lying. I will say this, when I look at Lindsey Graham, he does appear a little nervous. I mean, it's it's kind of like he had a big night, a big date, and the hem on his long skirt ripped out. That would cause him some problems, wouldn't it? So anyway, at some point in the near future, we are going to be hearing more about this report. There will be some indictments coming out, and I fully believe there's going to be a lot of indictments. People say, well, are we sure if Donald Trump's getting an indictment? Frankly, what we know, what little we know of Donald Trump, the crime was committed, and it's been recorded in audio. I don't know how he doesn't get an indictment. And all the people around him, you know, Meadows and Giuliani went down to fucking Georgia. They made a visit to try to do whatever they could do. So they're probably in on it. Sidney Powell's just a fucking nutcase. So I'm sure she's going to get an indictment for the attempt in overthrowing the election or or overturning the election in Georgia. It's just going to be very interesting to see who gets the perjury indictments. I mean, the grand jury said it. We think they lied to us and we think you should indict them. I don't know how much stronger a case you can get about that. So we're going to get a twofer. We're going to get people who tried to overturn the election and some of those same people will also get a little perjury indictment too. This is going to be fun. Well, you know, Fox News has been a big supporter of Donald Trump for the last six years. But that's starting to change. Ann Coulter tore into former President Donald Trump on Saturday's editions of the conservative Timcast podcast. I get, you know, I don't know that Ann Coulter's on Fox News anymore. I don't watch Fox News, so I don't know. We have Laura Ingram there, but Ann Coulter, I don't know where the fuck she is now. She ends up on all the roast, and she gets torn apart on them. But this time she was on a podcast, Timcast. 
And she went on to say, well, he's always known how to be a celebrity, right? Like that, that reminded me of the reality TV show aspect of Donald Trump, right? He knew, he knew, host Lydia Smith began. I don't think you're giving him more. I don't even think it's knowing how to be. I think he is a narcissistic. I, 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 I didn't, the one thing I didn't know when I wrote in Trump We Trust is how profoundly stupid he is. Um, I made very clear in the book the only thing he could do, we will forgive him for anything, and I defend him. Coulter recalled. I have to question Ann Coulter's intelligence. You mean to tell me right now, after all we've gone through, all that Donald Trump has done and said, now you finally realize he's an imbecile? I have to question Ann Coulter's intelligence, because that took a while. Or did you just know he's always been an idiot? You just followed him and supported him because you thought he might win. And you would get your agenda across the finish line. Fuck you, Ann Coulter. You're a joke. She went on to say the day after the Access Hollywood, you know, the pussy-grabbing tape came out. I was giving a speech before like 5,000 people in California up in farmland. And I was pedal to the metal defending him, Coulter said. And, and, you know, I said, we'll forgive him for anything, but unless you betray us on immigration, and oh, oh, guess what he did. Yeah. See, this is the thing that's coming out about Fox. It's not so much that Fox was lying that is the problem. It's the actual mindset of these people. These Trumplifucks, and Donald Trump himself, supported these people because they um, they said the things that they wanted to hear. They said the things they wanted to hear even after they knew it was all bullshit. So now that these text messages has, have been exposed and everybody knows about it now, I got to believe that some of these Trumplifucks, the base, if you will, is going to lash back at Fox News, have a problem with it. I mean, you know how big a backlash there was when they called Arizona before anybody else for the election. We know Fox reacted to that very quickly. That's when they made the decision to lie for money instead of telling the truth. And I've got to think that these new revelations are going to have a similar effect, and they are going to lose viewers. There's no fucking question about it. All right. Once again, Donald Trump has gone unhinged, unleashed a rage fit Sunday over an article at the New York Post about Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and roped in Fox News and Wall Street Journal while he was at it. Now, keep in mind, Fox News and Wall Street Journal are owned by Rupert Murdoch. So he's going after Ro Rupert Murdoch. Oh, and also Carl Rove, also Paul Ryan, and even managed to bring up Social Security and Medicare. Because, you know, Donald Trump's all for Social Security and Medicare. Yeah, but everybody around you wants to cut it. Now, Trump's ire was primarily directed at journalist Selena Zito for her Saturday article at the Post profiling the ex-president's number one, but as yet unannounced 2024 competitor, that of course Ron DeSantis, who outperformed Trump in Florida to the irritation and conspiracy-minded irritation of MyPillow CEO and bosom Trump buddy Mike Lindell. So Trump said this in, in writer Selena Zito's fake news puff piece about DeSantis. Yeah, that's what he's mad about. The piece that written about DeSantis, how I don't know, but was somehow positive, at least in Donald Trump's mind. And that pissed off Donald Trump because somebody's trying to help Ron DeSantis become the Republican candidate in 2024, even though he hasn't announced. So anyway, he says, 
In writer Selena Zito's fake news puff piece about DeSantis, which supposedly appeared in the dying New York Post, which is way down in readership, just like Fox News is way down in ratings, why doesn't she mention that, she, that he wants to cut Social Security and Medicare? Loves losers like Jeb Bush, Paul Ryan, and Karl Rove. And it's getting clobbered in the polls by, or he's getting clobbered in the polls by me, Trump erroneously raged in truth social post. But this is what he does. You know, it's like, it's, it's like when, when this report came out and he said he was totally exonerated because his name didn't come out in this redacted report, a report that's redacted to the point where there are no names in it, really. Why is he saying that? And I question, was he stupid or is he just trying to gaslight? And in real terms, and like in this situation too, um, he's basically doing exactly what he did with the Mueller report. He knew he wasn't exonerated, but he started screaming it. The Republicans started screaming it. And then as time goes by, people start thinking, well, is there some question about that? They were pretty loud about it. They talked about it a lot. Maybe there is some question in it. What he's trying to do is kind of taint what he knows is coming. See, I told you ahead of time it was all fake news, and they're doing this to me, and I'm the fucking victim. That's just a strategy of Donald Trump's. It won't work as well this time as it did during the Mueller report, because guess what? He's not fucking president anymore. He has no power. But he doesn't know that, or maybe he does know that, and he realizes this is the only desperate measure he can take. He went on to say DeSantis is a rhino. He loves calling Republicans that disagree with him rhinos, Republican in name only, who is trying to hide his past. Oh, everything is so mysterious and so salacious whenever he's going after somebody. Now, that's not to say that uh, Mr. DeSantis doesn't have a salacious past. We don't know for sure, but I wouldn't fucking be surprised. He said, I don't read the New York Post anymore. Why would you? It's a fucking tabloid rag, for Christ's sake, and it always has been. It has become fake news, just like Fox and Wall Street Journal, he insisted, packaging the report Mur Rupert Murdoch outlets all together. Trump has been unleashing hell on DeSantis somewhat imp impotently for weeks, failing to provoke the governor into taking the bait. See, that's what he wants to do. That's what every narcissist wants to do. They'll come at you. And they want you to engage with them because they feel like that's their, that's their territory and they feel like they can win. I don't know that he can, but that's why I've always told you when we're talking about Tramplifox and such, it's better not to engage with them because you can't convince them. You can't educate them. They'll just talk louder and spew more crazy bullshit. And that's what he'd like to do with Ron DeSantis, because in his simple mind, he believes that he could kick Ron DeSantis' ass in, in, in a full-scale argument. And frankly, that's all he's really got. He's got to come up with some evidence. You can't just say Ron DeSantis did that. Now, as a former president, he's actually got to have some fucking facts. And he knows he doesn't have any facts yet, so he wants to engage him in a fight. And Ron DeSantis, frankly, is doing the smart thing and just laying back. I'm sure he's saying, fuck, I haven't even said I'm running for president. I'm not going to argue with you about that. But Donald Trump is trying to push the issue and trying to get him to become unhinged. Now, I think Ron DeSantis has every capability of becoming unhinged. And that would be interesting if they did go after each other. It's just more of what I told you that's coming, and I hope there's even more than that. It's the Republicans eating their young or fighting amongst themselves. It leaves the Democrats wide open to do pretty much whatever they want. So I'm hoping that happens. And, you know, people will say that Ron DeSantis is so much smarter than Donald Trump. Well, that's, that's not really saying much because Donald Trump is dumb as a fucking rock. Ron DeSantis may be a little smarter than Donald Trump. 
but not much. I mean, this whole thing with Disney World and getting mad and doubling down, and now he's going to have to raise taxes on his own people. How is that going to play in the next election, whether it be for presidency or whether it be for for governor? Ron DeSantis isn't a smart man either. He's not doing well for himself. He'll implode before 2024. I don't even know why Donald Trump is worried about him, because first, Donald Trump won't be running for the presidency, and neither will Ron DeSantis. All right, we've got this whole thing in Ohio. I haven't talked a lot about it because it's a little out of my realm. It's not the politics, but it is big news. It's actually very frightening news, the things we're hearing out of there. It sounds like there's a lot of people doing nothing to fix a very serious problem. And when I say a lot of people, I'm talking about the governor. The fucking governor keeps saying, well, Joe Biden's not doing anything, but... Joe Biden has called him and said, look, you need to announce a state of emergency so we can get you FEMA funds and FEMA help. And he acknowledged, well, I haven't called him back, so I haven't asked for that yet. Well, don't blame Joe Biden for not helping you out if you're blowing him off when he's calling to offer help. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg sent a letter Sunday to the CEO of Norfolk Southern, warning that the freight rail company must demonstrate unequivocal support for the people of East Palestine, Ohio, and surrounding areas after a fiery train development that led to the release of chemicals and residents expressing concerns about their health. I mean, I would too. If you had dangerous gases or liquid coming out of a train that crashed, you'd want some help. Because is this going to affect the water? Certainly it's affecting the air. Norfolk Southern must live up to its commitment to make residents whole and must also live up to its obligation to do whatever it takes to stop putting communities such as East Palestine at risk. This is the right time for Norfolk Southern to take a leadership position within the rail industry, shifting to a posture that focuses on supporting, not thwarting efforts to raise the standard of U.S. rail safety. Yeah, I mean, you would think uh, you would think that would be the least that they would do. But it's not clear whether they're doing anything or at least enough. And when people's health is at risk, you would think there's some urgency to this. Now, Ohio Governor Mike DeWine said Friday that the chemicals that spilled into the Ohio River are no longer a risk. Well, it's in a fucking river, dude. That means moving water. Where is that water going to? There's still a risk. Even as people in the community say they have constant headaches and irritated eyes, the state plans to open a medical clinic in the village of 4700 to analyze their symptoms despite repeated statements that air and water testing has shown no signs of contaminants. Well, it's a little hard to believe our government when our government, when Donald Trump was in office, told us that COVID was a hoax, it was fake news, and it would go away. And then a million people died. Forgive us if we don't believe the fucking government. Still uncertainty persists about the consequences of the derailment that occurred roughly two weeks ago. I'll tell you this. It's kind of interesting. And I'm going to relate this back uh, to my time as um, as a traffic reporter. You know, from time to time, you might get an oil truck that rolls over and oil starts to spill on the ground. You know what they have to do with that? There's no gases in the air hurting anybody, but that oil is going into the ground. They have to get that truck uprighted. They have to pull it out of there and tow it away. And then they need to get crews out there to dig down as deep as the oil's contaminated and go down even deeper so they get all of it out of there. It doesn't pose an immediate risk to anybody, but it could get down to groundwater, so they take it very seriously. I'll tell you another story. Um, 
I lived in a house many years ago, and this house was built by my wife's grandfather. And for a while after I moved in, it was still heated with uh, heating oil, which means there was a tank in the ground next to the house. Well, we switched it to regular heat, you know, the gas heat that everybody has. And then we thought, didn't think about it. We just stopped the heating oil and we, we just stopped using it. But then we had to sell the house. And uh, they said, listen, now we got to dig up. You got to pay to dig up that oil tank. And if there's any spillage at all, it's going to cost you about 10 grand to get it cleaned up. About 10 grand to clean it up. Well, fortunately, whatever they, when they put the tank in back in 1938, it hadn't leaked. It hadn't leaked at all. How that's possible, I don't even know if that's possible. <clears throat> My father in law uh, was well connected with the government in the town we lived in at that point. And, you know, I don't know if he said, go easy on these kids. They don't have any fucking money. He might have done that. I don't know that for sure. But fortunately, they pulled the tank out, covered it back up, and it didn't cost us another ten grand. But that's how careful they are with oil and things like that in most situations. But we get these, this train derailment in Ohio, and we get toxic fumes coming up from it. And the governor's saying, yeah, it's cool. Water's fine. Okay, Gov, go down to East Palatine. Get yourself a big glass of water and drink it in front of us. I want to fucking see that. Peter DiCarlo, a professor of environmental health and engineering at Johns Hopkins University, told ABC News on Sunday that more testing is needed to determine which chemicals are present. They don't even know what fucking chemicals there are and what they need to do with them. He said, we just don't have the information we need to understand what chemicals may be present. Shouldn't that be on, 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 on some paperwork? I mean, if it's traveling on a train, you would think the information of exactly what it is is somewhere. I mean, I've done manifests for truckloads of things, and you've got to have every fucking thing on there. And I'm not talking about stuff that's toxic. It could be toys. It could be furniture. But you better have a list of everything on that truck. And it better be fucking accurate or you're going to be in some deep shit. But apparently, in this case, with this train, we don't even know what kind of toxic chemicals are on it. DiCarlo said, we know it started as vinyl chloride, but as soon as you burn that, all bets are off. You have a lot of chemical byproducts that can happen from a combustion process like that. Again, don't you foresee the possibility of a crash and maybe plan for that? He was asked if he would move back to East Palestine if he were already living there. DiCarlo said, I have two little boys. I would not move back to East Palestine. Now, the Norfolk Southern CEO, Alan Shaw, issued a statement on Saturday that he returned to East Palestine today to meet with local leaders, first responders, and the like. He said, in every conversation today, I shared how deeply sorry I am this happened to their homes. Oh, well, I'm sure that'll be a big help. The Atlanta-based company has created a website with updates, NS, making it right, Com. Yeah, motherfucker, you better make it right. The Transportation Secretary's letter on Sunday came across as stern warning to Norfolk Southern saying, it's imperative that your company be unambiguous and forthright in its commitment to these residents now and in the future. I got to tell you, Pete Buttigieg, when he was first starting to run for president, and obviously he didn't get the nomination. But when he started running for the president, I saw this guy, a mayor from some smaller town in Indiana, and I thought, wow, this guy's over his head. This guy is pretty much a lightweight. He's going to get chewed up and spit out. But ever since that time, that has not been the case. In fact, when you put anybody up against a Republican, 
you're going to want Pete Buttigieg because he's smart, he's articulate, and he takes no fucking prisoners. Some people see him as a possible candidate in 2024. I don't think that's true. I think he's too young. That's not to say I don't think Pete Buttigieg could be a presidential candidate. I'm not even saying that he couldn't win the presidency. I'm not even saying that he wouldn't be a great president because he might be. He is a young man with a good mind and a good heart. And I hope at some point we have the opportunity to vote for him as president. Now, people will say, well, he's gay. He'll never win because he's gay. I, I don't buy that at all. I mean, people have gone through a lot of shit. And if they see somebody that's going to help out and make this country better, they're going to vote for him. And Pete's a pretty likable guy. And he's a little like he's a little like Katie Porter in that he takes joy in tearing up Republicans. That's why you see him showing up on Fox News all the time. That motherfucker's not scared. He sits there with a smirk on his face and rips these people new assholes. And that's what we need in this Democratic Party. Imagine that. A young gay man is the bulldog the Democrats need. It's ironic. But uh, I think maybe the time has come. (laughs) We'll see how it all shakes out. Well, we're going to wrap up the Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you all for taking the time to listen. I hope you have a great day. And we'll start the week out tomorrow when we start getting back to business as usual. But have a great day, and we will talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.